So how would you define the difference between therapy and a therapist and spiritual direction and a spiritual director? Are they the same thing or? You can't sue your spiritual director. You can't sue. (laughs) (laughs) And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. I'm John Stevens. Hey, Jerry Weber, our friend. We we have Jerry Weber with us on on Pod Have Mercy this week. Our best friend in Arkansas. Just a ray of sunshine, Jerry Weber. The only person you know in Arkansas. No, I know... um, Yes, the only person I yeah. know in Arkansas. <laughs> I, I, I think that's right. I think that's actually correct. So, how are you doing? You guys are a ray of sunshine. I, 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 I almost never want to cut my ear off after I've listened to you. <laughs> like Vincent Van Gogh. Good for you. Like Van Gogh, yeah. How are you doing? Doing well. Yeah. We've had some uh, some family things and some hard uh some grief this summer uh mother-in-law passed away so we've been dealing with a lot of that but uh yeah doing doing okay doing good well i'm sorry about that i know that that's been a lot of going back and forth and taking care yeah it's good to see you guys i miss you we miss you too. We For do. those of you who don't know, Jerry was on staff here at Chapelwood for 172 years. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and taken up by the Lord. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He rode the, <laughs> to he Arkansas. Rode, he rode the chariot, came down like uh, Elisha or whatever, and <laughs> took him straight to heaven. Do not pass go. It was either that or what was the other guy, Cora? That the 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 earth split open and he went straight I was just down. Sucked him there in. was the only two that didn't literally die. Well, he's in Arkansas, so he must have been sucked <laughs> he into must the. Must have uh, been sucked in on the Korah's rebellion. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Jerry Jerry started the Center for Christian Spirituality at Chapwood, which is a contemplative community here and been very influential, and in, not just in Houston, Texas, but all over the place. And Jerry retired and moved to Arkansas. Arkansas, be closer to family and grandbabies, and still does a lot of stuff around Christian spirituality. You do a lot of teaching and a lot of speaking and a lot of, I guess, meditating. And that's like a contemplative's greatest dream is to move to the Ozarks and just like fade into the be left the alone night. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to push back on that retired thing. I, I tend to be busier now than I ever was at Chapelwood. Well, good. That's so, what it should be. Yeah, you just yeah. cross the threshold. Yeah, so, yeah, doing a lot of things, a lot of speaking and spiritual direction and writing and, uh, you know, help trying, trying to help people uh, in the journey and walking alongside folks so it's it's cool it's fun yeah so and and the pandemic while everybody else was shut down in the pandemic i was already doing zoom stuff and online and that just you know pandemic comes and everybody has to stay home they're looking for things to do so all of a sudden the kind of thing i was doing became a hot commodity yeah so. yeah do you do a lot of spiritual direction on zoom i do I, most i i have a handful of people I do face to face, but most of it's online. That's great. Yeah. I found it works pretty well. It, it does. works. Uh, yeah. 
you know, it's it's a different dynamic than being face to face, and you miss all the interpersonal cues, the nonverbals, and all that. But uh, I mean, people are still hungry, and people are wanting to think about life differently, and yeah. so yeah, it works. It, it's not ideal, but it works. You know, you know what I always have found, like in in the Zoom stuff with spiritual direction, that most of the spiritual directors I know talk about the inner voice. And attuning mm-hmm. yourself to the inner voice, and often if it's not an embodied presence, you're having to kind of already deal with the inner voice of someone that you're kind of interacting with already on online or something. I, I found it to be really helpful in some ways, yeah. you know. So it's it's good. Well, we were yeah, I, I yeah. No, I, I was just gonna say, go ahead. You had a thought. No, no, I just I I don't find it to be much of a hindrance i i have my own spiritual director that i meet with online and and the people that i meet with you know it may take a session or two to kind of get used to being online with that but uh people just bring the stuff of their lives and get you know it, it gets real pretty fast and in some ways because there is a distance there may be a little more safety i don't that may be what you were sensing matt i don't know uh you know, I'm in the safety of my room. I'm in the safety of this place that's really familiar to me. And so uh, so I can be vulnerable. I mean, you're not sitting right here with me so I can I can throw it out there. And uh, I, I find people get really vulnerable pretty quick yeah. on Zoom in spiritual direction. So I've met with Jerry on spiritual direction and he says, you know, how are things going on your life? And the great thing about Zoom is when he says how things are going in your life, I can say, they're going great. And I cross my fingers like <laughs> under the thing. Yeah, everything's great. I'm so good. Pastor. I mean, it's, I'm not wrong? any better. And I've like, I, every, all my fingers crossed down here and I'm like picking my nails and I'm, my, my knees are like doing this. And, but up, up here, I'm like, yeah, it's just so smooth, man. You just so good. Yeah. It's like that duck. John's updating Facebook just below the screen. And, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, she's saying meeting with my spiritual director. Or... <laughs> yes. Meeting. <laughs> So one of the things you and I were talking about, you you recently, what I thought would be interesting to talk about, you just you just came back. There's a tell us a little bit about the Academy for Spiritual Formation. You just led a session there, and I pulled them up online, and they have they have upcoming retreats. And I was trying to decide: do I want to go to Alabama, Oklahoma, Arizona, or Puerto Rico? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, Arizona looks nice. Puerto Rico. I think the one in Alabama is a two-year thing. The others are probably five days. I can't commit two years. To oh. Alabama, too. Yeah. To Alabama. That's, 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 <laughs> it seems more like, I don't know, Alabama. I spent my whole life growing up next to Alabama. That I, That's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. it's a, a, The one in Alabama now is at a really nice Episcopalian retreat center, and, and it's, uh, from what I hear, really really pretty cool yeah it's a it's the academy for spiritual formation is this ministry of the upper room upper room ministries in nashville uh connected to united methodists uh the board of discipleship but really with kind of a mission to help people uh the upper room and the academy to help people with spiritual formation whatever their background so kind of the centerpieces of of their ministry is they offer uh, a five-day academy for spiritual formation in a lot of different locations and i think most of those that you just read 
our uh, five-day academies where a group of about 50 or 60 people come to a retreat center and they just stay for a week uh, in prayer four times a day, Eucharist every day. Uh, they're in covenant groups every day with the same covenant group. And then there are two faculty people who come in. One speaks in the morning and the other speaks in the afternoon. And so you get a one-hour faculty presentation about a particular topic, and then people have an hour of silence to reflect on that, and then to come back and share or feedback feedback with that faculty presenter. And uh, so, yeah, that's where I was in Virginia last week. That's great. Uh, uh, and my piece in that was teaching about Psalms, uh, praying the Psalms and spiritual formation, Psalms and the spiritual journey. Uh, but the, so you have the five day academy, which takes place in a location in one of those places you just read, John. And then the two year academy for spiritual formation is a series of eight of those five day experiences over two years. Hmm. So you've got the same group of 50 or 60 people going to the same location eight different times over two years. So you're, each time the rhythm is the same, this Benedictine rhythm, but you have two new faculty people coming each time and they have a set curriculum that goes through uh, scripture for spiritual formation, Old Testament spirituality, New Testament spirituality. It gets into spiritual direction, into prayer, into discernment, wow. all, all sorts of things. And so you, you uh, have two different faculty members, faculty people over a two-year period of time. So by the end of it, you've had 16 different curriculum pieces. And the people who usually teach are, are uh, seminary professors and people who are kind of at the front of, of a given field. And uh, so it's, it's just this really intense kind of experience of spiritual formation and and community building that it, it, it involves silence and uh it, it's probably the best program like it in fact i don't really know another program like it out there there have been other people who've tried to kind of mimic it but uh but it's really got some legs it's been around for over 30 years now and so they've tweaked it over the years and it uh yeah during the pandemic, they kind of started doing some of those things online and it, it took a little different shape. But now uh, getting back to face to face, you know, at a retreat center. And uh, since last October, I've spoken at uh, four different uh, uh, five day academies in different parts of the country. Uh, so uh, tend to be local conferences, annual conferences tend to sponsor the five day. Uh -huh. And then you have the two year experiences that are kind of larger and and in some of these sort of centralized locations like Alabama. Uh, I did a, the two year academy in the late 90s in Wisconsin at a Dominican uh, retreat house. Uh, they used to do them in California. They've done them in uh, in Maryland and Florida. Uh, used to do them in San Antonio at the Oblate Renewal Center. So, so yeah, I, I'd say those are, are pretty good uh, entry points for folks who are interested in spiritual formation uh, to find a, a five-day experience and just kind of plug in and see how that feels, see how the rhythm, see how the rhythm works. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I was looking at <clears throat> here on their website, they talk about this research that they've done for people who've been through these academies for spiritual formation and, and they found that people who attended 
one of these academies, like 80% of the people that would participate felt like after they left, they had a deeper hunger for God. And 75% people uh, reported that they experienced increased self-compassion. Wow. And so I was just wondering, like, if someone was listening and thinking, well, I wonder if that's something that would be interesting to do or not. What kind of, I guess, what kind of person or where is someone in their faith journey? I mean, th- these are good things. I mean, if you're talking about 80%, it deepens their hunger for God. And 75%, I think, self-compassion, what that's like, you learning to love yourself. <laughs> is that yeah. what that would be? Yeah. Yeah, to receive yourself, to accept yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that people, my experience has been the people who find it most appealing are those who already have a hunger, who who have some kind of itch for something more, some uh, yeah. a, a different kind of prayer life, maybe a more contemplative kind of posture, uh, a person who's eager to learn, a person who... Uh, May well, I, I was going to say maybe more comfortable with silence, but we have people who come who have never really had silence before, and they tend to find it refreshing, and they want more of it. So, um, but but I'd say you know, kind of a basic, gentle tug or a gentle leading, a kind of guiding into uh, into spirituality, uh, prayer. Um, worship the worship is is liturgical but it's it's kind of creative and so it's a different sort of worship experience daily eucharist uh at the, both the five day and the two year in the in the two year experience so there's that daily experience of eucharist and for some people that's a real important piece uh, what most people kind of walk away from is a deep sense of community not only with the large community of people who have the same experience, but with a covenant group of six or seven or eight other people uh, with whom they spend about an hour and a half every evening just kind of processing. And, and this is where I've been today. And this is what God seems to be doing in my life. And, and to have that kind of tight, close-knit relationship to talk about the deeper things of life, the transcendent things of life seems to be really, really important to people. And Kind of the, some of the feedback I get is that th- those times, the covenant group times, tend to be the the real game changers for yeah. a lot of people. Hearing myself say out loud to another group of people that I can trust to hold to hold the space and to be to allow me to be vulnerable. That uh, there may be some of that self love. That's not self love, but that self awareness, that kind of love and care for myself. That uh, kind of arises out of that that's good so how would you define the difference between therapy and a therapist and spiritual direction and a spiritual director are they the same thing or you can't sue your spiritual director you can't sue (laughs) (laughs) that's the only difference (laughs) well you can but the apostle paul said it's not a good thing you shouldn't do that Yeah, I think of therapy, and I've I've done therapy. You know, most of us have. Uh, therapy tends to be uh, sniffing out and trying to fix problems, or at least cope with problems. Or, you know, it's more in that kind of fixing, coping kind of realm. 
And, and spiritual direction really travels in a different world, and that's uh, where is God in this? Hmm. And how, how, what is this situation, this, this hard situation, not trying to fix it, but, uh, but what is God inviting you to do or what's God inviting you to be in the middle of this? Uh, how's God shaping you in the middle of this? So, so the questions tend to be more interior. They're not, uh, they're not exclusively interior, but they tend to be less about fixing and, and coping and, you know, how do I get by right now than they are, uh, I, I would say they're invitational. Yeah. Interesting. And I think, you know, I think good spiritual direction and good therapy probably go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. They're different, but I think, I, I, I don't think they're uh, at odds with each other. I used to hear Thomas Keating, Father Thomas Keating say, you know, what everybody needs is a really good spiritual director and a real good psychotherapist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, if, you know, you put those two kinds of things together mm -hmm. and the one is about coping and, and dealing with life in more constructive ways. But the other one is asking more directly the God question. Yeah. Where is God in this and what's God doing and what's God's invitation to me? And how can I be more open to what God's doing, even in this situation that really feels cruddy, you yeah. know, really feels like a mess. Hmm. One of, so, the, things, one of yeah. the things I've learned from you and just um, hearing you speak in our relationship is that whole concept or the whole practice of noticing and, and being yeah. attentive to and becoming aware of. And it seems yeah. that in times um, therapy can, can be um, conceptualized as how do I get out of this? Um, mm -hmm. and what do I need to do in capacities I need to form? And that's, some of those things are super useful, useful, right? But there's, I think sure. somewhat in spiritual, um, direction is, is really asking the question of, um, of transformation. Like how might this pain, if it, you know, if God is in it, <laughs> you know, um, mm -hmm. how might this, this time transform me and what is it asking of it, of me? What is it summonsing me, um, uh, to yeah. be or to become, which is a different question yeah. than how the hell do I get out of this? You know? Sure. Um, oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Because I think all of spirituality is really about noticing and awareness. You use the word noticing and I would say awareness mm -hmm. or attentiveness. And so how do I become more attentive in this, pain or in this difficult situation, how do I become more attentive to my own kind of inner life and how that inner life is impacting others? So it's not only, it's not just about me, but, uh, but if I've got stuff that's coming out sideways, it's probably hurting somebody else. Yes. And I'm standing back saying, well, I wonder why he or she's hurt by that, you know, when I'm spewing all this stuff out at them. But if I can be attentive enough or, or aware enough to notice kind of my own inner landscape in the middle of that uh, spiritual direction then is not trying to fix that but it's simply saying be aware of it so that as it happens you're aware that this is this is where you're going this is who you're hurting uh, and and so what might be another way to be in this mm. yeah for me that it was <clears throat> doing an, an examine like a daily examine at the end of the day you know a type of an examine where I would go mm. back and play through interactions that you had with people that what mm. were the positive interactions that were life-giving where, where God was present mm -hmm. and it's like you know trying to learn about yourself it's like how was I open to that or yeah. or how did I contribute to that or whatever it sounds selfish but it's not at all it's just an awareness and then there's usually for me always a few of those where it's like where did I really screw this up 
and got in my own way and yeah. said things to people. And it's like, how did, you know, what was I feeling? A lot of times for me, it's like, okay, I was feeling vulnerable or I was feeling threatened mm-hmm. or I was feeling a loss of control. And by acknowledging that and recognizing it and seeing how it manifested in a way in a relationship with someone that was, that was detrimental or not healthy, if nothing else, it just made me aware going forward that in the next day and the next day and the next day, when there were the opportunity for that to come in again, you just are aware. So you're a little bit slower. It doesn't mean you don't fall into the same trap, but it, right. you do get better. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can that's work right. on that that's to right. me. That's right. That's, that's kind of my experience on it. Hmm. Yeah, I think the examine is kind of a core spiritual practice for that. And, you know, for me, sometimes I think about my own kind of where I am and my own spiritual health. And I, I can almost measure that pretty reliable, pretty reliable, how when something happens in the outer world and I react to it, how long it takes me to come to some sense of why I'm reacting from within. Yeah. So if, you know, if I react to my wife in a way that's really sideways and, and I come to a, an awareness of my own inner being enough to know why I did that, why I reacted that way. If I can come to that within a couple of hours or six hours, even that I'm probably in a pretty good place. <laughs> but if I sit in the stew of something that my wife has said or done, and I sit in that stew for three days, four days, five days, six days, without any awareness of my part in that, then I'm probably not in a really good place. Yeah. Okay. My, so my... awareness becomes kind of a, a barometer for me of, where am I? You know, if I can come to awareness more quickly, then uh, it's say, okay, that's what this is. I'm, I'm holding this thing that inside me and I haven't let go of it. So now I at least want to be aware of that. So I know what's driving me in this, in this situation. All right. So this is the example that every husband and or wife, you driving in the car, my wife, we've been married. It'll be 30 years next year, 29 years this year. If y'all make it. If, if we make it, we're going to make it at least on, in another week or two. It's, it's like, only September 11th is our anniversary. I think I can. So Michelle says to me. Um, so what, one it. of the things I think that, so I find it's like, okay, so we're driving to say X restaurant. We're going to dinner, going to drive to X restaurant. So we come out, you know, we go down the road. It's called tree And beards. as we get up to King, you know, King's Rider, she goes, are you, are you good? And before we even get at the intersection, are you going to take a right here? Are you going to go this way? And I was like, and they're immediately in this moment. As soon as she says that, there's like this anger in me. Like, why the hell are you telling me to turn on Kings Road? Of course I know to turn I on Kings Road. I know I only driven this way 800 times. Or she goes, oh, that light's red. Uh, yeah, I see the light is red. <laughs> well, I didn't feel like you were stopping. I'm like, I'm sounding, making my wife sound horrible. But what I'm saying is she's, she's not. I'm talking about how it makes me feel. And there's something about right. we get in the car. Yes. And now what I just do after 29 years of marriage, as we get out, we pull out of the driveway and I say, which way you want to go, honey? You want to go the right way or you want to go your way? (laughs) But no, I guess the point I'm making as a joke is that through the years, I realized what is it in me that gets so mad and angry about her giving me directions on, on what she thinks is a better way to go? You know, yeah, because she's offering it up as a legitimate way. As I think this way would be faster because you avoid the light or whatever else. And I'm just really seethed. 
by that. But I've gotten better through the years. I've gotten better. But that's kind of the human condition that, you know, my life would be good if everybody out there would straighten up. If everybody out there would do, you know, do what's right or, or act right or whatever, my life would be better. And spiritually speaking, transformation always begins from the inside out. It doesn't begin with getting my life world straight. It begins with doing my own work and, and being aware like that. So, you know, some of, some of our spiritual teachers would even say, John, that in that moment, Stephanie is a gift to you, helping you to do your work. Oh, Lord, she's going to hear this. Yeah, that's going to be your new ringtone. I'm going to text her. I'm going to text her and say, you need to listen to minute 23. It's going to be your ringtone, I swear. I'm toast. I'll never live this down. The next 30 years are going to be, remember when Jerry said I was a gift to you in this moment? Uh. Hey, I have it. Let's see if I can make this work. I have a question for you. But. I'm an introvert. I need to think about questions. No, this is going to be good. So my daughter. Maddie is a senior at OU, and she has uh, FaceTimed me while we're on the podcast, and I said, well, babe, I'm on the podcast. We're we're interviewing uh, Jerry Weber, and she's like, so here she is. So she has a question. Maddie. I love this. Hi, I just got locked out of my house. Oh, look, here she is. You got locked out of your house? I did. Well, this is, I was FaceTiming. I told you to be ready. Are you ready? Um, yes, I am. All right, you're live on air okay. with Jerry, and you had a question for Jerry. Look, there she is. Hi, I love it. am I like on the screen? You're on the screen, and you, he can hear you. So go ahead, ask him your okay. question. Well, have to look what I typed out. Okay, my question was, what are some ways to listen for the Lord when you feel distracted or unfocused on the word or prayer? Did you hear it? I can just barely hear it. What are some ways to listen to... What are are some ways that you can listen to the Lord when you feel distracted or unfocused on the Word when you're praying? Is that right, Maddie? Um, Yeah, just like reading Scripture or praying or something like Like when you're reading Scripture or praying and you get unfocused, how do you focus? And like listen to the voice of the Lord. And listen more clearly to the Lord and not be distracted. Thanks, Maddie. We'll hang up and you can listen to the answer on the podcast this week. (laughs) No, no, I'll leave you on so you can hear it. I thought this was sports talk radio. Yeah, sports talk. We got to have Maddie from Norman, Oklahoma. Long time listener, first time caller. Go ahead, Maddie. First time, long time. So yeah, ways I, like I, I think all yeah. of us, all of us have prayed or read scripture, and like at night when I lay and pray, and I get, I lose focus, right? Yeah. So, I mean, just okay, just to pull a technique out, uh, rather than try to focus on the whole thing, like to engage the mind on the whole passage or the whole paragraph, uh, choose a single phrase or a single image that's in the passage, if you can find one, one that may seem interesting to you or kind of stirs you inside, and just pull that phrase or that image that may be a symbol, just pull it out of that and then just meditate on that for a moment. Just let that kind of go around in your in your head for a moment and let it go around in your head enough that it, it may slowly kind of seep down into your heart 
And uh, when you do that, there's not a particular way you need to feel. And if you feel distracted, that's okay. Hmm. Distraction's okay. We all get distracted. But by pulling out a single phrase or a single symbol out of a passage, then uh, and meditating with that for just a moment, then you give it an opportunity to get from your head down to your heart. Uh, and then what you can do after that is it, if you're going to sleep or, uh, you know, then you wake up the next morning and you have this this word or this phrase or this symbol on your heart and then look for ways that that symbol or that phrase shows up in the course of your day. So you don't have it. It's not about just sitting and meditating and concentrating harder, but it's about doing this brief meditation with the word or the phrase and then just kind of letting it go. And then but inviting God to show you in the course of life, then, you know, when you're walking to class or when you're sitting in a lecture that's really boring or something, just to God, bring this this symbol or this word or phrase back to life for me and whatever I'm doing now and and see if if there aren't things that god kind of brings to you that connect your real life with that word phrase or that symbol what do you think that was good oh it was good yeah kind of, i think she said it was good you know what you're talking about she said no like i'm i, no, to hear I, that. I really I don't that's, really that's right it is helpful hey well thanks for but, calling in yeah, we're going to start taking live calls from now on the podcast <laughs> Okay, hey, do good at your class. Just, just give your... Thanks. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. I love you. Bye. <laughs> hey, well, that's, I think that's the first time we've ever taken a live call in. I love that. We oh, did call my yeah. mother Glad one time on the podcast first. live, we but did. we had to edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> we had to go dark. <laughs> I think what we don't want to do is just think that we have to try harder yeah. because trying harder or concentrating more is its own distraction. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, for like for Maddie and I think for a lot of young people and I was the same way when I was in college, you know, I was getting turned on to my faith and there were all these ways that I thought you were supposed to do it. You had to try harder. I, right, I didn't right, have right, the maturity right. or the wisdom. And so it was all about I've got to spend more time and I've got to try harder. And oh, my gosh, I can't stay focused. And you beat yourself up and then you feel ashamed. It's like I'm not yeah. living into whatever that expectation. You remember, Jerry, you grew up Baptist. Or, you know, your background is Baptist. And I remember, you know, this expectation that every day you had to have your quiet time. And there was this kind of yeah. loaded expectation of like, did you have your quiet time today? Did you have your quiet time today? QT. You, hey, your QT, QT today? Did you get a QT today? Oh, I missed my quiet yeah. time that today. I'm such a failure. <laughs> yeah. That worked for 10 days. I kept the notebook and then the notebook. I never opened the notebook again. Yeah, but it, it was more driven by expectation and obligation, almost this legalism rather than relational. You know, it yeah. was it was uh, it was perfunctory. It was kind of this thing you had to do, had to, do yep. to prove your it. worth. You remember that? I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I think in some ways, also that that style is also very kind of study driven, analytical, and it tends to live in the head. So you know, I've got to study this passage, and I've got to parse it and and figure out go you know figure out what it means go to the internet or go to a commentary or something and it really i think that's a big reason you know i've talked the three of us have talked offline before about how the the failure of the church has been that we haven't allowed the word to get into people's lives mm, yeah and so you know we kind of have a dysfunctional church capital c right now church everywhere because 
we've had all this teaching and this, you know, Bible study, but we haven't had Bible living. Wow. So how do we take, you know, a word, a phrase, a symbol, an image from a passage of Scripture and then open ourselves to what God's saying about that in the world I live in? Yeah. What does this have to yeah. do with my lived life? Yeah. What's what's interesting to me in spiritual direction, and I wonder if you can comment on this. Uh, it feels like in spiritual direction that um, you're you are, I am building capacities to notice the overwhelming presence of God in the world, and that the way I grew up was that I have to be the center of that, and there's a rope that's that I have to create from me to God and it's with all of this stuff and you don't build the, I did, I never built the capacity to notice the, the, you know, what Richard Rohr calls the necessary, um, you know, that kind of that necessary falling, <laughs> you know, the, a, a part that descent narrative, all those things are what I'm trying to keep away from. And then the spiritual life seems to summons me to a way of saying, Oh, I swim in the sea of grace. And even the issues of my problems, addictions, whatever, aren't inhibitors to that. Um, they're part and parcel of the path. Is that true? Is yeah, that not true? I, I, I think that's right on target. I mean, that's, yeah, I don't think we've helped people have that capacity to swim in, in the sea of grace. But I think it was Anthony DeMello, the Jesuit yeah. Indian Jesuit priest who tells a little story about, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have the story on top of my head, but the punchline of the story is you can do as little to make this happen as a fish can to find the ocean. <laughs> and that's, that's the punchline. You're already in it. Yeah. You know, you can do as little uh, to make something happen in, in connection to God or whatever as, you, as a fish can to find the ocean. And the point of it, it you're already there. You know, so stop trying to make it happen. Stop trying to earn your way there to do enough that you're worthy of it. Just let it happen in you. It's already there. It's already trying to happen in you. You know, what, the other thing you said a minute ago about how we get so intellectual about it. It's a, what was the way you phrased it? You know, when, when, you're, when you're driven to study it in that way, outs, outside of a relationship more as an right. obligation, yeah. you become more like, it's 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 almost like apologetics that was the old yeah, term yeah, it's like yeah. you're studying to defend mm. the faith right yeah. the problem mm. i find like yeah. even in you know in our denominational arguments and squabble is everyone wants to like see who's the smartest about defending the bible and yet no one knows the bible i mean they only know that it says in there some places about certain things they don't know the bible you know, the, and there was, I was talking to a preacher recently, and he said, as a guy in his church that said, you know, I don't need to read the Bible. I know what's in there. I know what it says. You know? <laughs> I don't need to read it. I know what's in there. And so it's like, and, and we're arguing about things. It's like, oh, I know what it says. It says that. Well, it's like, we've been talking about Ephesians, you know, and this big, you know, you, you've been a part of this. Uh, the the oneness and the peace, you know, the unity is, the peace is. It's not something we build or create or craft. We It's there. We either choose to participate in it or we don't. And it's not an intellectual exercise. I mean, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul's not talking about intellectual system. I mean, it, it's a deep theological conversation, but it's about 
who God is and who we are and how we're connected together. It isn't the little ticky-tack lists of wrong and right. And there are essentials. We talk about this. There are essentials. But what we do is we turn non-essentials into essentials. Uh, And I just think it's interesting when you're talking about coming at it from an intellectual. It's like we're, we're all arguing in a denominational split about how right we are about the Bible. And I'm, people I'm listening to, I'm thinking, not, none of us really know what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. does that make that, sense? Yeah, and that kind of spirituality still upholds the ego project of myself being the center. And what I'm yeah. hearing y'all talk about is that there's another way that where the very presence of God, this mystery of God, is so... Um, so present that I'm decentered, but transformed in that decentering of my very self. So my own knowledge of God can really just be another project where I stick in myself in the center, knowing the right answers and making sure that everybody falls in line, you know, or securing my own future out of my right answers. But if you're lost in a wood and not knowing the way forward, your right answers don't do anything. You have to figure out a different capacity of where you are and what to do now. Well, agreed. <laughs> we can Thank keep you, going Jack. and going and going about that's some good stuff, though. I, I like that. Now, you taught on before we go, and I want to be faithful to your time, and we get to go from here and talk about Christmas Eve. Hey, why don't you just stay on with us, bro? You want to talk about like Christmas Eve? We, we've had this conversation <laughs> on the podcast before about Christmas Eve, and <laughs> what's the, what the joke we made was like, um, how to tell if you're how to tell if you attend a church that's not Baptist. <laughs> they don't have an eleven PM Christmas Eve. Right. I mean, the Baptist churches don't have eleven PM Christmas. Am I right or am I right? Yeah, back in my day they didn't even have Christmas Eve. <laughs> Are you serious? The Baptists? No. But but on Sunday we're gonna have morning and evening preaching and Wednesday night. Yeah. Yeah. I I had to institute Christmas Eve services at the the two Baptist churches I pastored. Really? They just didn't do it. It was like Sunday or Wednesday. And by golly preacher, you're going to preach twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday. But And y'all no, did y'all no did Christmas. y'all did Advent and Lent too, right? In the Baptist church. Only because I introduced it. <laughs> My brother, went, lo- my brother loves during, Advent and Lent, but he's like, no one knows what that is. They don't yeah. know what that is. During seminary, I went to a real progressive Baptist church that was very Methodist-like, and uh, learned learned about Advent and Lent. Never never had heard of it. Thought this is great. So what do I do? The first church I pastored, this little country church in Northeast Texas, go in and say, we're going to do Advent. We're going to do Lent. It's like, son. We don't do that around here. I don't read the Bible, but I know what it says, and there ain't nothing in there about no Advent and Lent. Lent. I think it, I think we did in that first church, and they were good, good people. I think they let me light candles, but and we may have done a reading, you know, each week. We but it was that Catholic that was about it. So that's all. Awesome. But I, even at the candles, I had to convince them that I was not trying to make them Catholics. Right. 
Because <laughs> right. well, there's nothing worse. Yeah. <laughs> nothing worse for a Baptist church. That's the, the biggest the, difference yeah, between Baptist, Baptist and Methodist. And yeah. even even in the South and Deep South, you know, Methodist, man, there's this very anti-Catholic like thing. Like when we yeah. do the Apostles' oh, yeah. Creed and we say, I believe in the, the, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And they're like, whoa, 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 preacher. I don't, whoa, whoa, I don't believe in no Catholic church now. And I had to explain to them what that meant. But so, yeah, so we're going to talk about Christmas Eve. You can join us on the Christmas Eve, uh, the, the Christmas Eve strategy. No, what I was going to say before we go, though, is you did the Academy of Spiritual Formation and you taught your subject was the Psalms. What was the one if you had one thing that you thought, man, this really resonated with me as I was teaching in the Academy of Spiritual Formation or related to Psalms? What was the one thing that resonated with you? as you were preparing and leading? Uh, yeah, the thing that resonated with me, and I think it resonated with the people there, is, and I'll, I don't know that I used this word for it, but I'll just say how resilient God is. That in the, psalm, the Psalms are so raw, so sharp, so jagged, so cutting, uh, so real and honest that it takes a lot for most people to really trust that they can be that honest with God and God's not going to cut the cord, you know, just mm -hmm. snip, snip. And, uh, and we carry so much of this old baggage that if I do something wrong, I say something wrong and we make jokes like, Oh, I'm going to, God's going to throw a thunderbolt at me or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you get these Psalms where the Psalmist prays, you know, I hate these Babylonians so much. I just, I just wish somebody would dash their babies against the rocks mm. or uh, Psalm 88, you know, God, you, you put me in a pit and I'm in darkness and all my friends are gone. Everything I know is gone. You did this, God. Darkness is my closest friend. Mm. And, you know, it for for somebody to pray that, that this kind of Hebrew mindset that I can say anything to God and God's God's not going to dismiss me. Wow. That there's nothing I can do, nothing I can say that's going to scare God off. And so I just think of that as, you know, I, you, we don't often think, or I don't often think about the resilience of God, but God is so tough and God is so resilient that it's no threat to God if I stand and wave my fists and curse and uh, have a hissy fit. And some of that even yeah. makes its way into the Bible. That's awesome. But, uh, but God, you know, that's the kind of love, that's the kind of uh, reception, hospitality God has toward those of us, toward all people, toward mm. God's people. Amen. And that's... You Bring know, yourself just as you are. Say whatever you want to say. Do whatever you want to do. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can say that's going to cause God to cut the cord on you. No. God's going to stay tied no. to you, no. connected to you, whether you like it or not. Yep. Yeah, and yep. our culture, our culture, in our culture, it's a culture of orientation. You're up, you're happy, it's joyful, you're never down. That's weakness. You know, if you're down, it's weak. Yep. Um, I heard somebody say the other day that they're in, in, a, in what, what's happened in the distortion of Christianity in America is that there's no longer good and evil, right and wrong. It's now winning and losing. And, if you're winning, you're good and you're right. 
And if you're losing, you're evil and you're wrong. And so we've lost that language. We've lost that language of lament. We've lost that understanding of the suffering servant. We've lost that understanding of, you know, of humility of, and, and I don't know, it's just gotten distorted. I, I just trying to help people recapture a language of lament you know, Brueggemann talks mm. a lot about that, you know, capturing the language of yeah. disorientation. That's our language. That's our prayer language. If you go to Psalms, I tell people the first seven of the, of the first 10 Psalms, seven of them are laments. Yeah. And that ought to tell you something. But I love the image of God as resilient because <laughs> if I was God, I was just like, all right, I'm done with you, buddy. Smite, smite him. I think that I think that's the understanding that many of us carry deep down in us, and that's why we don't trust his, God's resilience, because we've been trained that if we make one wrong step, God's going to let us go, and so it, it becomes about worthiness and meritocracy and what yeah. what I earn in life, yeah. and I have to earn God's love, earn God's goodness, and. Uh, that if I dare to raise a fist and pray Psalm 88 or Psalm 137, God's going to get me. Mm. And uh, if I dare to lament or if I dare, you know, the complaint, what Brueggemann calls the complaint Psalms. Huh. Hmm. <laughs> this one Psalm, I thought of kind of our contemporary cultural landscape with Psalm 109. It's this Psalm that it, it says, uh, it starts off with this kind of, uh, God, look how how badly everyone's treating me and they're so mean and they're this and they're that. Uh, but while they are all vile, God, I am a man of love. While they want my doom, I pray for them. And that's in the first three verses. It, verse three ends, I pray for them. And then the next like 25 verses is what he prays for them. God, take away their children. Take all the cattle from the fields. God, may their bank accounts be empty. May they have no ancestors. And for 25 verses, them smite out. them, oh holy smiter. Smite them all. It's like, I am so holy, God. I, I'm a man of love, and I will pray for them. And then this is his prayer. It's like, that's... That's what our culture is full, full of. I'm praying for you, brother. Well, that's yeah. <laughs> be careful. Half the people who say that, I think that's what they're praying. Bless it's your heart. That's so good. Bless your heart. Bless your little heart. <laughs> Jerry, we love you, man. We miss you down here, and miss you guys. And yeah. uh, but glad you're up there doing the good work in Arkansas, and always glad when you come on because you just bring some grounded, yeah. you know, maturity and spirituality, at least on the podcast. And then when you're here and not on the podcast. Yeah we can get into other kinds of trouble we love you tell stephanie that i love her no matter which way you go to dinner <laughs> and uh <laughs> and tell maddie that i'm glad she called you know what i'm glad that was so that awesome because she was facetiming me walking from class and i said i'm interview we're interviewing jerry weber on the podcast do you have a question about spirituality and she just immediately you know normally your kid would go no thank you and she yeah. said hey I have a question. I was like, all right, I'm FaceTiming you. You can ask him yourself. So that was really That's cool. Great. That's great. That was awesome. That's great. Well, thanks, Jerry. Appreciate you, brother. Good to see you, you guys. Well, hey, make sure you like the podcast. Make sure you share it with friends. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you do all that kind of stuff. Share it on Facebook, on Insta, on this, on that. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I think it's important. <laughs> you know, TikTok. I did tell you last week, somebody said, you know, they were asking me, it's like, where do you, where do you get your news? Because I, I, I think I know where you get your news. And I was like, I read everything. 
I mean, I read Wall Street Journal, yeah. Washington Post, yeah. New York Times. It's like, yeah. you know, as soon as you get to one, they don't like to go, ooh, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew I you knew read that you. one. Oh, so what do you watch on TV? I, I said, well, actually, I don't watch it all the time. I said, but I kind of watch them all. I said, I'll give them all like at least 15, 20 minutes to yeah. hear what they're saying and just kind of shows me how far apart we yeah. are in all this world. And then I look at them and I said, well, where do you get your news? And they go, TikTok. <laughs> I didn't even know they had news on TikTok, but there you go. There you have it. The most trusted name in news. TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> We're going to dance the news for you tonight. The most trusted doom scrolling <laughs> in all the world. From China, TikTok. Well, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Hello, neighbor. How are you? Really want to shower you with love. Hello, neighbor, how are you? Really wanna challenge you?